right. Welcome, church. Good to see everyone. Hello. Good to see everyone at church. Glad you're here. Hey, Tani. Good. I'm glad. Gosh, you guys came on a Saturday night, and, and, uh, and you're watching online. Thank you so much for watching online. So glad you have tuned in. Um, hey, do you know what happened about 20 years ago? There's some exciting things that happened about 20 years ago. Uh, Google was founded. Um, now, now, if you're like in your 20-something and you're thinking, I was four years old, just wait. There will be a day when you will see life a little bit differently. But Google was founded, and, uh, and uh, maybe you remember that. Or uh, and the other thing that came out was the first Apple, the first iMac came out. Uh, the first, first iMac came out came out, uh, and pretty much everyone had a, was a phone called the Nokia 6120. Now, that little guy, anybody had that, have that phone, 6120? Um, yeah, there, there were like 22 million that were sold that year, about 20 years ago. Can you believe that? Um, those of you who only know the smartphones, you have no idea just the suffering we went through before the smartphones came out. And then there was this other store that was pretty popular known as Blockbuster. People were still taking, anybody remember those days? I, I, I remember when, when, when we started Thorn Creek Church um, way back when. So we started it in 2000. Three, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting old as well. 2003, and I remember there was a Blockbuster video store on 120th and Grant area. I remember that. And I would go in there and get a video, a VHS tape, and play it like in the service. And we'd have to queue it all up and everything. And, and eventually, they got used to the pastor going in on a Saturday. So I would tell them in advance the messages I would be preaching about. And the people who worked there, the employees of Blockbuster, would get videos that would support the message. I thought that was so cool. And they would give me like three or four to choose from. And uh, now we can just look at it on our phone. Life, I mean, life has changed. Have you ever looked back like 20 years ago and think, you know what? I never should have made that decision. I never should have moved. I never should have let that go. I never should have gotten in that relationship. I never should have tried that. I never should have taken that first. I never should have drank. I never should have that thing. I never should have. I should have listened and I didn't listen. You ever go through that stuff? Um, it could, you know, I want you, to, I want you to know something here. This sermon is just for you, if that's you, because we're looking at this gal named Deborah, and I want you to hear this. It's not too late. Can you say that out loud with me? It's not too late. Turn to the person next to you and tell them it's not too late. Type it in the chat. It's not too late. Sometimes we can look at our life and our problems, and we can convince ourselves, like, like, I've gone through, you know, I made this mess in my life, and, and now I don't know how to undo it. And now I'm living with the consequences of it. And, and there's nothing I can really, really do. But this message is just for you because this is a story about a decision that the Israelites made about 20 years before this text. But then they've been living in this problem for 20 years. Can you imagine 20 years living in this problem? They're living outside of God's plan. They, they, they're living outside of God's will. They're stubborn, self-centered people. And now they're living in fear. And they made this decision 20 years ago. And they're still in the middle of this problem. And that's where Deborah comes into play. All right? Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
I pray that you just move in every heart. Start with mine, Lord. Holy Spirit, work in me and through me for your good pleasure. Move in the heart of the person who was dragged to church, the person who uh, maybe is watching online, God, and has just got a lot of things going on in their life. I pray that every soul has an encounter with your holy presence. I pray every soul hears a word from you, God, because nothing else quenches like your word. So have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, before we jump in the message here, I I just want to show you what's fueling this church. Um, This is what gets me up at, you know, every day. (laughs) This is it right here. And here's a stat right here I want to share with you. We shared this on uh, November 7, last Sunday. We had 65 adults show up to be part of our core meeting. 65 adults, that's super exciting. There was a day our core people uh, could have all eaten one small pizza. I mean, that was our core. And now we need a bunch of pizzas. But um, here's the stat you may not be aware of. 94% of Adams County is unchurched. 94% of Adams County. Adams County, which is where Thorn Creek is, is the number one unchurched county in the state of Colorado. And it is one of the top five in the entire United States. Now, here's what is unique about about this area. It's full of good people who view church. Many people view church as non-essential. Even Christians, many Christians view church as non-essential. So we are in an incredible mission field, and everything we do at Thorn Creek, the services, the ministries, the programs, the volunteering, we have have people working right now and serving God in the kids' ministry, everything is about helping people come to know Jesus. That's why we're here. Everything. When I write messages, it's all about, I want people to know Jesus. We need, to, we need to introduce people to Jesus, and we need to see Christians deployed and using their gifts. You hear what I'm saying? That's the, that's the charge of the church, for, for, for us to grow in our faith. But it's not just to grow, it's to take action to do things, to get involved, to serve, to love on others. So let me just challenge you. If you're not taking any action, I want to challenge you to take action. Do something. Don't think about it. Don't give advice about how to do it. Don't tell others how to do it. Do something. Turn to someone and tell them, do something. Can you do that? Do something. Jump in and help out. That's what fuels us, guys. I felt like I needed to share that with you because in the book of Judges, This is an interesting cultural time. This is an interesting time. I want to start off with um, 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 Judges chapter 2, verse 16 says, Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. So when you look at the book of Judges, it comes right after Joshua. And it starts at at the death of Joshua. And it ends at the coronation of the first king of Israel. And his name is Saul, right? So right between Joshua and Saul, you have these judges that God puts there. And really, it's when Joshua led the Israelites into Canaan, um, there were actual uh, other nations, pagan nations that were there. And, and God told the Israelites, I want you to go in and I want you to defeat 
these pagan nations. So that's what they're doing. They're going in there and defeating these pagan nations. When you look at this book of Judges, you see this cycle. I talked about this a few weeks ago, this spiritual cycle that the Israelites go through. And it starts off with like sin. And then there's oppression, like hard times kind of thing. And then they repent. And then they, they, they cry out for a deliverer. And that's where the judge comes in. And then they have peace. And after the peace, they sin, <laughs> and then they have oppression, and then they repent, and then they're delivered, and then there's peace, and then they have sin, and then there's oppression, and then there's the repentance, and then there's a deliverer, and then there's that peace. I mean, you see this cycle, and when you look at the cycle of the Israelites, we could all identify with that same cycle. When things don't go well in our life, we like cry out to God. And then all of a sudden, God might bless and, and, and restore and give peace, and then life is good. And all of a sudden, that urgency to seek God is just not as hot as it was before. And then we say, okay, that things happen in our life, and that remind us that we're not in control, remind us that we need God. And then we start seeking God, and we just kind of keep going in the cycle, and it's exactly what's happening in the book of Judges with the Israelites. This cycle just keeps going on and on. So there's 12 judges that you find in this, in the book of Judges. Some of the popular ones are Samson. Remember Samson? He's number 12. Um, we looked at a guy named Gideon, if you remember that. That was a while back. The fourth judge is Deborah. All the women just say hello. Can you just say, uh, just the women, just the women, Phil. All the women say hello. Uh, <laughs> Deborah is the only female judge. Some scholars have suggested that her position as judge was a judgment on the weak-willed men of Israel. Wow. Wow. Weak-willed men of Israel. God chose a woman for the job. Ladies, just say, mm-hmm, can you do that? God chose a woman for the job, partly to shame the men who should have taken leadership. Partly to shame the men who should have taken leadership. It's amazing to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak truth for, for a second. It's amazing to me how many men that I know that are not taking any leadership in their homes, in the church, anywhere. But they see themselves as a leader. But they're not taking any leadership. That's what was happening here in the book of Judges. So in Judges chapter 4 and 5, here we go. Judges chapter 4 is the story of Deborah. Chapter 4. And when you flip the page, Judges chapter 5, the woman is a songwriter. You know, before Taylor Swift, there was Deborah. Uh, she could do everything. She was a prophetess. She's a prophet. She's a judge. And she's a songwriter. And that's, that's, that's who she is. So we're going to start off at Judges chapter 4. We're going to look at the story. And then uh, we'll just bounce to a little bit to chapter 5. But chapter 4 says this. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again, say again with me. That's a cycle right there. They keep doing it. Again, did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera. So that Sisera, that's a person, that's a commander of the Canaanite army who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Thank you very much. Verse 3 says, Sisera, who had 900. 
900 iron chariots. How many iron chariots did he have? 900. This was Caesarea's army. Ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for how many years? For 20 years. There it is. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So this is the northern Israel here, and they're going into Canaan, to the northern tribes, and they're being oppressed by the Canaanites, and they find themselves there. So here's the problem. Some of our greatest battles come from something that God told us to get rid of. These guys never should have been there. The Canaanites never should have been there. Because God told Joshua, I want you to go in and I want you to conquer all these pagan nations. And for whatever reason, they stopped. And these guys never should have been there. Now you look in the book of Judges and you look at the time of Deborah. And now the Israelites are coming up against this thing and they never should have been there. It's important for us to kind of see that because sometimes God says, I want you to let go of that. And we say, I'm not going to let go of that. And that thing haunts us. God says, I want you to let go of that relationship. And you say, I don't want to let go of that relationship. And a year later, you're paying the price. And two years later, you're paying the price. And five years later, you're paying the price. God says, I want you to do away with it because God knows what's best for you. God has your spiritual well-being in mind. And God knows the things that will hold you back. He knows the things that will trip you up. He knows the things that will stifle your spiritual growth. And God will look at you and say, don't, don't you go there. Don't you hang out. Don't you, get, don't you hook up with them. Don't you go do that. Don't do that because that's going to haunt you. And that's exactly what was happening with the Israelites. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we, we, we fall in love with the things that we pray that God will take out of our life. Oh, that's so good, guys. Sometimes we fall in love with the very things that we know are not right. God says, I don't want you to be a person full of pride. And deep down inside, you think, but I like being a person full of pride. God says, I want you to take care of that. I want you to take care of that desire. And you say, well, you know what? I'm not sure if I want to let go of that. I kind of enjoy it. And God says, oh, you don't know the price you're going to pay for that. <laughs> you don't know the price you're going to pay for that. And in our minds, we convince ourselves that we're in control and we're in charge and all of those good things, those self-centered things, and we refuse to let go of what God has told us to let go. It's not good for you. That's our problem. It's that sin that looks harmless. We chose to coexist with it. We chose to live with it. And we reasoned with ourselves and convinced ourselves that it won't affect us. Verse 3 says, Syria, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. The chariots were these light armored vehicles in military history. And, and they, they would be drawn by four horses, and many times they had a driver, and they had four archers in the chariot. So they had blades on the side, just like the movie Gladiator, you know. They, just, they had blades on the side, and, and they were just incredibly, incredibly forceful. And when they were going up against other people's, you know, footmen, soldiers, and there was just no competition at all. So what they would do is, is they would, they would uh, charge the Israelites anytime they wanted to go on the road. And they would pay this heavy toll 
to go anywhere. The Israelites could not go anywhere or do anything because of these 900 iron chariots. Here's how bad it was. And when you look at the song in chapter 5, Deborah says this, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads, and travelers stayed on winding pathways. So they're like, I'm not even going to go out in the streets. They just avoided the main roads. They'd look for the backcountry roads. They didn't want to have anything to do with those chariots. Uh, Judges chapter 1, verse 25, the very last verse in the book of Judges is the verse that gives us a, a better understanding of the spiritual culture of this day. And it says this, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That is like the verse that captures all of the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You think we're going back to that culture just a little bit, guys? You think that's where we're going? Don't you tell me what you think is right, because what I think is right is different from what you think is right, and we both could be right. And if I tell you the sky is purple, then it's purple. Don't judge me. If I tell you that, whatever feels good to you, that's what's right. Whatever seems right in your eyes, that's what's right. See, when you take out that measuring stick, everything becomes relative. Hear this. When there is an absence of God's standard, people will drift to a place of moral relativism. People will drift there. And you can't, you can't uh, be inconsistent. If you convince yourself that there's nothing wrong over here with uh, stealing or, or lying or this kind of lie is okay or, or this action is okay, whatever, and you reason through, well, you've got to be consistent and you've got to carry that all the way through. So you can't say a little lie is okay, but a big lie is wrong. No, no, you've got to be consistent. And, and, and this is the culture we're in. We're sliding into, again, whatever feels good. And if I tell you the sky is blue, I'm being judgmental. That's the culture we're slipping in. That's the, that's the world we're in right now. Those of you who call yourself a Christian even affects our testimony. So many times we choose to be quiet because we don't want to offend. We choose to be quiet and we, and we bow down to the age of tolerance and we know it to be wrong, but we'd rather be quiet than, than bring it up and say, no, 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 this is wrong and this is why. And we're more concerned about our relationships and we're more concerned about pleasing people. We're more concerned about all of those things. You have to look at how the Israelites got to this place. Verse 9 says this. But the people soon forgot about the Lord their God. So he handed them over to Caesarea. There's that guy, the commander of Hazor's army. And, and also to the Philistines and to the king of Moab who fought against them. The people forgot about the Lord their God. That's how you get off track. You forget who has been providing for you. You forget who has talked to you. You forget who loves you. You forget your maker. You forget who's God. When you forget who's God, you'll start worshiping other gods. Hear this, when you intentionally refuse God's will for your life, God will let you have your way. He will do that. When you keep pushing back on God's will, 
He's going to say, you know what? I told you to get out of that. I told you to stop doing that. I told you what you need to do, and you're so stubborn. You don't want to do it. He's going to say, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Romans chapter 3 says it like this. True, some of them. I love this. is a beautiful thing about God. It's so good. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. Second Timothy, Paul says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. So the Israelites, 20 years living in oppression with this evil king, and now they're at this place. They were unfaithful, but in the midst of all this, there's a faithful God. Aren't you glad God is faithful, even when we're not faithful? Even when you're not faithful, aren't you glad God is loving, even when you're not loving? Aren't you glad God is merciful, even when you're not merciful? God loves you. God is a faithful God. There's nothing that you have done that is greater than his love for you. Nothing. Hear this. Your faithfulness does not determine God's faithfulness, but, everyone say but, Your obedience determines God's blessing. Your obedience to God determines God's blessing. The Israelites were living in 20 years of oppression because they chose not to obey God. How long does it take for you to cry out to God? Like how long? Does it have to get pretty bad before you do that? How long does it take for you to cry out to God? When you look at this story, you see this, and, 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 and there's this lack of hope. I was talking to someone recently, and they told me that one of their close friends just committed suicide like a year ago on Christmas Day, just committed suicide, jumped off of a bridge. And I heard that, and I asked, why? And he said, well, he just lost hope. Hope is so strong. When you lose hope, you say, well, there's nothing worth living. And you, 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 you all of a sudden self-destruct, and that's exactly what the devil wants to do with you. That's his goal for you to self-destruct, for you to, to go to this place of darkness. And he wants you not to cry out to God. He doesn't want you to turn to God. He doesn't want you to go to church. He doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want any of those things. He wants you to just go to this ball place and just self-destruct. But here's what I want you to hear. Nothing is impossible for God. No situation. So don't give up hope. Don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop walking by faith. Don't give up hope. You have a God that can do anything. He can do anything. This is a story of Deborah. 20 years of oppression can be gone in one day. Think about that. 20 years of oppression can be washed away in one day moment. Here comes the turning point. Judges chapter 4, verse 3 said this, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. That's it. They cried out. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Then, say then with me. For many of you, the only thing that's keeping you from that better life is you haven't experienced the then. Because there's stuff that's happened in your life and, and mistakes or whatever it might be. And, and you might have a mess and you might be more confused now or whatever it might be. But, but the only thing that's keeping you from going to that right path is you're missing 
The then. You've got to get to the then. The other side of the story starts with then. <laughs> because then Phil cried out to the Lord. <laughs> then Tawny cried out to the Lord. Then Adam cried out to the Lord. Then Jeff cried out to the Lord. I mean, then that changes everything. That changes everything when you cry out to God and you say, God, I've made a mess. Then you cry out to the Lord. That's a tipping point. Now you're going to put your life in a whole new trajectory because you're submitting to the will of God. Here's what some of you need to do. Some of you need to cry out to God. Cry out to God. That's, that's why you're here at church. That's why you're watching online. Because God wants you to cry out to him. God loves you and cares about you. You look at this story in verse 4. Here she comes. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth. Lapidoth is her husband. It means torch. And we don't know a lot about this torch. <laughs> Nothing else is known about this husband, but he's, it's a, he is a wife named Deborah. And Deborah was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. Verse 5 says, she would sit under the palm of Deborah. She sat under a palm tree. I think that's so cool. I have this vision of this woman sitting in the south on the back porch or something like that, and everybody goes to her for advice or something. She'd sit on this, at, at the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. Judges chapter 5, verse 7 says this, there were few people left in the village of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. She's like the mother for Israel. That's who she is. Verse 6 says this, one day, she sent for Barak, son of Abinom, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. So she says, hey, go get Barak. I want to bring him over here. And, and remember, 20 years in oppression, then they cried out to the Lord. Now God is going to use Deborah to tell Israel what they need to do. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Now, I want you to hear this. God tells Israel, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get this, this many the people from your army. I want you to get, you know, these 10,000 warriors. And I just want you to meet them at the Kishon River. That's all you have to do. And God says, I'll take care of it then. From then on, I'll take care of it. So God doesn't specifically tell them what's going to happen. And so many times when God tells us to do things, he doesn't give us the full story. He just says, I just want you to take one step of faith. I just want you to trust me. And if your personality is a kind of personality where you have to have everything figured out before you take a step of faith, you're going to miss out on what God wants to do. If you have the kind of personality that you will not take a step of faith until you know that you know that you know that you know, you're going to miss out on the blessings and the miracles of God. Faith is essential to walk with God. And God tells Israel, I just want you to meet them at the Kishon River. That's all I want you to do. When you turn the page and you look at chapter five, you find out what happened. This Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. So you know what happened at the Kishon? A flash flood occurred. 
and all of those warriors on those iron chariots, iron sinks really good in water. It, iron just goes straight down. And God sent a massive flood and destroyed an entire army. That was God's part. Their part was to be obedient. That was their part. I want you to hear this. Don't assume the problem is too big for God. God has the ability to send a flash flood and give you a new slate. Glory to God. God can do that in one moment. You might be facing a financial crisis and thinking, I don't know how I can get out of this. God in one moment can take care of everything. I'm not talking about Vegas either. God is so much bigger than that. God can do anything he wants. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. But look what Barak said to Deborah. Barak told her in verse 8, I will go, but only if you go with me. Wow. Now, where's Barak's faith? What is he saying? He has this little condition and he tells Deborah, all right, I, I hear this is a message from God. Maybe he doesn't fully believe it. Maybe he's not really convinced. Any skeptics in the house? Any skeptics watching online? Maybe he's not really convinced. And he's like, being, he's suspicious. And he says, all right, I'll go. But just in case you're sending me to a trap, you go with me. You go with me. And verse 9, she says, very well. She replied, I will go with you. But you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Caesarea will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. You ever not take a step of faith and not experience what God is doing and someone else does it and then you want to take credit for it? Yeah, I wanted to do that. I talked about that first, but you weren't there first. You weren't there first. You weren't there first. There's something incredible sweet about being the first one to step out of the boat. You know, that step, that, it's just that first step. There's an adrenaline rush that, that is incredibly sweet that Simon Peter knew about. That first one to take that step out and the other one stood back and said, you're crazy. How deep is the water? Who do you think you are? It's water. Let me give you 42 reasons why you can't do that, Simon. And Simon said, oh, he's calling me. Jesus is calling me. That's enough. I'll take that step of faith. And God will call you to the edge of your faith and say, take one more step. God will call you to the edge of your faith and say, take one more step. He'll call you to the edge of your reason and your logic and your understanding. And he'll say, take one more step now. And you look at Barack, Barack, Barack you know, he, he, he sees, but he hears what Deborah is saying, and he doesn't have the faith to go off on his own. Here's what you need to know. You need faith to please God. You can't get around it. If you want to know God, you got to go through faith. If you want to experience God, you got to go through faith. If you, if you want God's purpose for your life, you got to go through faith. If you want to fulfill God's purpose, if you want to do things greater than that, you've got to go through faith. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got to go through faith. If you want to experience the forgiveness of your sins, then you've got to go through faith. Everything is about going through faith. Hebrews tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
There's no other way around it. No other way around it. You need faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's faith. It's really interesting in Hebrews chapter 11, this incredible chapter of amazing men and women who were, were, were great faith uh, people. Look who's mentioned in verse 32. It says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon. And there he is, Barak. He's mentioned in chapter 11. So when you keep reading in Judges chapter 4, you see this assembling start to happen. They have 10,000 warriors that come together and they start doing exactly what God tells them to do. And, 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 and in chapter 14, it says, Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. And that's what happens. And, and, and it says, When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. That's what verse 15 says. The Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. And Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. That's what God can do. You can't do that. God can stir a heart and create fear when he wants to. And he does that so many times. Then Barak, verse 16 says, then Barak chased the chariots and the, the enemy army all the way to Harash Hegelim, killing all of Caesarea's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. I got to read this part. This is so good. Verse 17 says, meanwhile, Caesarea ran to the tent of Jael. That's a woman. So Sarah runs to, so he's, he's a fugitive now. He is running. He is scared. He is freaking out. This guy with 900 iron chariots is now just a big old scaredy cat. And he's running. He, he runs to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hezor. Jael went out to meet Caesarea and said to him, come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent. And she covered him with a blanket. Are you feeling that? She's getting, he's getting like really cozy. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Some other, other earlier translations say it was yogurt that, he, that she gave him. And she's just, you know, just here, you can, let me put a blanket over you and give you some more milk and just... Relax, you're safe here. And verse, verse 20, he says, stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there's anyone here, say no. Verse 21, here it comes, power to the women, here it comes. But when Cesare fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael, she quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. And so he died. When Barak came looking for Caesarea, Jael went out to meet him. And she said, come and I will show you the man you were looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Caesarea lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. I, my first thought is she didn't hit her thumb. You know, that was pretty impressive when she would hit, and it was just one strike. Can you, can you just, she was a servant of the Lord. And she killed him with a tent peg and a hammer and hammered a nail into his temple 
while he was sleeping after he had that nice warm milk. And the woman took care of God's servant. Women, this is a shout out. We need you. We need you, ladies. We need you. Men, we need you. When you see this whole thing happen, craziness. Verse 23 says this. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. That interesting, God moved before the Israelites. The Israelites saw those 900 chariots sink. They saw how God stirred their hearts and something happened inside of them. They saw God move and something happened to their faith. They were changed. And I want you to hear this. Big problems get smaller when you have history with God. You know what I'm, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been walking with God for a long time. Big problems get smaller when you have history with God. You see, I'm not afraid of that giant because I've seen God move in the past. I'm not worried about tomorrow because I've seen how God has taken care of me yesterday. I'm not worried about that big, big problem. I'm not worried at all. God, you don't know what God has done for me. You don't know where, how far he's, you, you don't know what he's done. I have seen mountains move. I have seen the dead come to life. I have seen him do miraculous things. You don't know what God has done. Big problems get smaller when you have history with God. It requires you to walk by faith, not by reason, not by sight, not by intellect, not by logic, not by your wisdom. Walking by faith and trusting God and being obedient even when you don't see your circumstances change. Some of you, maybe you could identify with these Israelites. Maybe you could identify with them. You've been in a situation for a while and maybe you've had all kinds of reasons behind it and now you have this problem. I want you to know God is big enough to send a flash flood and take care of that problem. He's big enough to do that. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. When you keep reading this story, the result of this whole thing, there's 40 years of peace. 40 years of peace. Now, I think it's beautiful that they were oppressed for 20 years and God just doubled it. And now there's 40 years of peace. Isn't that beautiful? I love God's math. I love God's math. He's so good. He could replace what the locusts have eaten. That's your God. God can do that. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You just need to walk by faith. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in God. And let Jesus have his way in your heart. Be obedient to God. Trust him. When he calls you to take a step of faith, take that step of faith. Don't sit back and give all the reasons why you can't do it. And don't give back, sit back and tell all the reasons why someone else can't do it. You take a step of faith. Wouldn't it be cool if Hebrews chapter 11, there your name is in, right there as a person who took their step of faith. Well, I want to to pray for you. Some of you, maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here in person and maybe you don't know Jesus. You could know Jesus. That's your first step is give your life over to Jesus. 
the, the, the turning point of this whole story was then they cried out to the Lord. Then they cried out to the Lord. You can cry out to the Lord right where you're at right now. You can cry out to the Lord right where you're at in that car or in the house or wherever you're at. Then they cried out to the Lord. My prayer is that everyone experiences that then moment. God, thank you for your grace and your love. And, and I pray, Lord, that you just continue to stir hearts here. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your presence. I have sensed it here, God. And right now, I want to lead you. If you're ready to receive Jesus, would you just say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Right now, I choose to become a Christian. Others of you maybe need to say this prayer. God, help me to walk by faith. I turn to you, God. You know the problem that I've been in for a long time now. You know what that relationship looks like. You know that financial situation. You know that sin. You know that habit. You know that addiction. You know what it is, God. And right now, I need you to deliver me. And I cry out to you right now, God. I cry out to you right now. And I ask you to save me in the name of Jesus. Do a miracle. Send a flood. Change my circumstances, God. And I choose to walk by faith and I choose to be obedient to you. You are my God. Jesus, we confess together that you, Jesus, are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the mediator, the only one between God and man. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And the church, you are the head of the church. This is your baby. And Jesus, we worship you. Have your way in our homes. Have your way with our children. Have your way in our hearts. Keep us healthy, Lord, and continue to be our great physician. Provide, and with every breath we take here, we give to you, Jesus. In your name we pray.